I generally, you know, start with the end in mind. We want healthy, productive pigs. That's better for me. That's better for you as a consumer to have healthy, productive pigs. And vaccines play a a role in that. The cost of a disease outbreak can be really devastating. You might not have seen parvovirus for for three years or five years or, or ever on a farm, but if you stop vaccinating, there's a good chance you will. So, really trying to share with those, you know, friends, family, uh, strangers on the airplane, whatever, that that it's really about how do you make safe and productive pigs, which makes safe and product, you know, and nutritious meals. And so really and say, these are safe, they're efficacious, they're beneficial for us, and they're beneficial for you. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. AB Vista new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Feed flow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with feed flow. Want to save up to 25% in labor time when cleaning your barns? With MS Top Foam Power, you effectively remove all historical pollution. MS Top Foam Power ensures the surface is perfectly clean and ready for disinfection. Find your dealer at www.msgold.eu. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Swine It Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Kellner, and today I am joined by Brent Sexton, uh, Associate Veterinarian with Suaday Health and Production. Dr. Brent, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Doing good, well. We got good. To a good start. And uh, daughter's off to daycare, so we're doing all right. Hey, that's awesome. My uh, little son took his first bus ride to school today. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> exciting times when you have young ones. So, Brent, uh, introduce our, yourself to our audience. Yep. So, my name is Brent Sexton. I'm from Rockwell City originally in West Central Iowa. I uh, grew up on a family farm. We didn't have livestock, but I had a neighbor who was a veterinarian, and that's uh, through the 4-H and FFA programs and uh, probably annoying them throughout the summers and hanging around. That's that's how I got exposed to, to veterinary medicine. Uh, the swine side of things really took off once I got to Iowa State. Uh, just kind of the longer I was there, the more opportunities there were. And so it was... You know, by the time I got to vet school, wanted to do like 75% cattle, 25% hogs. And by the time I was a, a fourth year, it was about oh, 90% hogs and 10% cattle. And then I, I got a job offer. Uh, first job out of college was with Pipestone. And I was swine exclusive. So kind of figured like, oh, okay, I'll see enough cattle on my way to the to the pig barns. So it's, uh, it's been all hogs all the time since then. Uh, like I said, first, first job was with Pipestone, spent there about a year and then joined the, the mashoff teams, uh, covered the, let's see the Eastern side of the, 
Iowa, Western uh, Illinois with the Central Prairie Group. So Kayla Hennis and I were the the two veterinarians there and worked for right about four years there. Had a, a really good time. Got to kind of see and do a lot through disease prevention and uh, outbreak management, vaccine implementation, or and just really got to go deep in on a lot of different aspects of pig production. It was a great experience and then had the opportunity here recently to join Suaday as a as just an associate veterinarian working with some of the managed farms and independent producers. And, you know, it's only been about just a, a few months, but so far so good and really enjoying the team and, and everything. So been a little bit of a journeyman so far, but uh, it's been a good trip. Good trip, and uh, I've gotten to see and do a lot. Yeah, awesome. So let's start there, Brent, right? So you've worked as a veterinarian in three different production systems. Based off of that experience and kind of that diversity and seeing, you know, strengths and weaknesses of different systems, what do you think the biggest hurdle that our industry needs to overcome is from your perspective and what you've learned so far? I think the the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome is we have we have so many really amazing veterinarians out there that that are doing really interesting things and getting different results and it's just really hard to quantify or to compare successes or failures which can be equally helpful uh, that that some people have and others I think it, we often you know a paper gets published and oh wow this this must be exactly how it works with our production system and it doesn't, or someone sell, gives us you know, a recommendation or another paper comes out or whatever. And, and we're like, Oh, that will never fit in our production system. Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's just the, the challenge of how we're, we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're all trying to manage PERS. We're all trying to eliminate PED or manage PED, uh, all trying to raise healthy, productive hogs in different systems, different environments. And it's just, you feel like the answer's out there. It's got to be out there somewhere. Someone's doing something right. And just how do you, how do you get enough aggregate data? How do you get enough people working together to, you know, make large scale improvements off of so many, you know, almost microscopic data points? Yeah, Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to highlight about your experience, Brent, is oftentimes on podcasts or presentations, we talk about disease prevention, right? And that's extremely important. I don't want to downplay that by any means. But some things that aren't highlighted as much is disease management. So once we have the issue, then how do we deal with it? In your experience, maybe talk about some successes and failures that you've had to share with our audience on PD and then PERPS. Absolutely. So being a vet in kind of central, east central Iowa, disease management is a big part of it, right? Uh, prevention's great, um, but unfortunately, um, disease happens. I think I saw my first purse pigs like my second day of work. And and that was largely because the first day of work, I was doing all my onboarding. Whereas a, a good friend of mine in northern Minnesota North Dakota didn't see PERS for a year and a half. So we, we had a little bit different uh, kind of introduction to, to swine medicine. So, you know, I think the, the biggest part in disease management, or maybe not the biggest, but a really crucial part 
is, is trying to identify the root cause. Uh, it can it can be really easy to get in there like, okay, we just stopped the bleeding and, and that's really critical too. But that early period, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be right away, but that's a really important part of identifying, okay, where do we think this came from? How did this get introduced? So I would say don't, don't blow that off for two, three, four months down the road when half your, you know, you've had employees leave or uh, you've forgotten what day so-and-so did whatever. But, you know, so I'll throw that as a caveat. I was like, don't, don't forget that step. But in terms of managing, uh, really the stop the bleeding <laughs> is, is about the best uh, analogy for it. You know, what can you do as soon as like, right now to, to get better. Uh, and sometimes there's not a lot. Sometimes it's planning for a few weeks down the road, but, uh, you know, how, how do we, how do we either prevent other, uh, farms from getting it? If you're in close proximity, how do we get this farm feeling better sooner? So per specifically, uh, working with the mash offs, we had, we had several farms in a small area. So every outbreak was, you know, it was very important. They weren't filtered farms. There's lots of, you know, Kayla Hennis deserves a ton of credit for the work she does with biosecurity in the in the Pittsfield kind of area of Illinois with those farms. And and the level of interconnectedness, even though there's there's lots and lots of steps to to prevent that, you know, when you drive past two sow farms to get to your sow farm to work, you know, I can remember driving to a PD outbreak. And I see the employee from another farm passing me. But I mean, it would be great if the, if we all had assigned routes, but how, how can you manage that when you're 10 people coming from 10 different places to 10 different farms and stuff? So uh, I think I really learned through those experiences of how critical, you know, immediate intervention is. So, you know, that I would say as we talk specifically to PERS, you know, working in how how do we manage outbreaks? A few things that w- we found to be pretty helpful. And again, this is one of those points where uh, we don't have a ton of data. I don't have a p-value to share, but, you know, Pulmatil and Draxon, uh, some of the macrolide shots uh, have been really helpful in, in early onset, reducing those those very early mortality losses. We had a nasty string of one, two, four outbreaks that, that really killed a lot of pigs and, and decided, boy, we, we've got to try and figure out how to make that piglet healthier, more robust, and, and moved vaccines into the sow farm. We had generally vaccinated and weaned the market. Let's move them into the sow farm. Let's give those piglets exposure to the vaccine earlier. And, and we also started doing more of the pollen tools. So again, we have two variables. I'm not saying what does what, but when we had, you know, multiple groups with 80, 90% mortality or 60 to 90% mortality, I mean, they're, they're just devastating. You pretty quickly decide you don't want to go through that again. And, and by those and, and other management steps and whatnot, uh, you know, we, we really limited that, uh, Outbreaks were bad, but it seemed that having a vaccinated pig early prevented those really nasty 80, 90% groups 
you know, they're, they're, we're looking at 20 to 30, 35% groups. And then having pulmotillin being very quick with that, putting that into gestation and lactation, we really seem to shorten that tail. And then also using, uh, trying novel drugs or, or newly available, uh, Meloxicam was a, a big help in some of these groups that were getting out six, eight, ten weeks of age when they started seroconverting and helping shorten that tail. So really trying to do a lot of different things and, and something I'm pretty passionate about, and we'll get to this maybe when we talk about the PED, would be, all right, let's let's try and quantify this. Let's try to record, get a handle on what we think works what's what a success looks like and so doing some of those things and the mashups were great about that and they really pushed like okay you're going to do this how are we going to measure success and well number of number of groups with mortalities over 80 percent is a really important metric <laughs> if you're starting in that area and uh moving that to you know eight or ten to zero was, was a big win so you know, those are a few of the things we kind of tried just in terms of uh, on the purse. So I might pause there. I got on a little bit of a of a run there. So I guess any questions or clarification you think I need on the purse side? No, I think that was a very good overview, Brent. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, more specifically, let's dive a little bit deeper there in terms of you know, you have all these south farms that are close by, you know, are, are you doing any exposure, any inoculation, you know, in terms of your incoming gilts or if you have a south farm break or, you know, do you have any successes or failures with anything like that, Brent? Yep. The, the you know, the initial part of the closure, trying to, you know, establish that day zero. And that was, a, I would say, a, a really important part that, you know, when I was at Pipestone, they believed in. When I was at uh, the mashups, they believe in. Suede believes that. Um, and there's there's lots of opinions on. Do you do that with vaccine? Do you do that with uh, live virus? How much virus to put in there? I probably lean more towards the LVI route. Um, just some of my experiences and stuff. But I, I think there's there's good cases out there, especially depending on barn layout. You have a single gestation barn, and wow, this is blowing through. You can probably get by with with walking positive animals down. You know, bringing piglets from the farrowing house, kind of the natural exposure. Because I've also seen it when the you know you do the LVI, but your your prevalence maybe wasn't as high as you thought it was, and wow, you you basically fit four weeks worth of aborts and. Uh, mortality and just general stress into a, you know, a, a one week time frame, which you can argue good or bad, but the, the managers generally don't appreciate having that many aborts in one week. So, uh, you know, there, there comes down to some different philosophies on the exact kind of part of it, you know, the, the execution there, but I would say in general, my experience is establishing that day zero and that's for mycoplasma, PD, PERS, Delta, you name it. That that's a really critical piece of of disease eradication and control. Yeah. 
Yeah, thanks, Britt, for going a little bit further on that. So let's talk a little bit about PDV just a bit. A little bit different virus, a little bit different in terms of the management and control of that. Britt, maybe talk about some of your, you know, large scale um, successes there. Yeah, the the biggest, I guess, success story we had uh, working. This was when with when I was with Mashoffs again. We have a lot of sow farms there. That were really close together. So uh, 10 to 13 sow farms, probably within like a 30 mile radius. Uh, so anyway, you slice it, you're close to someone else and and independent producers or other systems in there as well. We in the market site. So it's, it's a hog dense area. During this time, prices were pretty strong as well on wean pigs. So we had a lot of motivation to eradicate this virus as as quickly as possible so when when this farm broke we had a single farm break and then over the course of just uh another couple days we had two more and then it was about every week we broke one more for it ended up with a i believe six total sow farms and one you think boy how do, how are we moving this around well it's 25 degrees out. I've just told how how close everything is together, all the traffic that that maybe we control, maybe we don't, and the other farms. So it's it's a really difficult position to be in. And all right, so we we want to get this virus out as fast as we can. We want to save as many pigs as we can. And if we have the opportunity to make this a little bit easier, that's that's even better. So we opted to try. Uh, PD vaccine. PD vaccine had been used within the mash offs, uh, generally more with farms that were at risk of of kind of becoming chronic or uh, persistently infected. That's not really the right term, but anyways, having lingering issues, failing to get it cleaned up. But we looked at it as well. Let the worst route is is some vaccine. We'll try it. And we had six farms, and this goes earlier to, you know, trying to share data that we have. How do you measure success? And so we basically set up six farms. We implemented the vaccine at all of those, and we had a, really, a lot of success there. Uh, we dropped our, our closure length, you know, by about our average length by about three to four weeks. Uh, the data got a little muddy just based on how those initial mortalities were recorded. So that pre-wean mortality was hard to hard to get a number on. But just uh, looking at you know manager perspective, anecdotal evidence, felt we had some pretty substantial benefits there as well. So that was that was a really what we found to be a, a really helpful management uh, intervention, you know, utilizing this vaccine and Amy Mashoff, Melissa Hench, who's at there at the time, really it encouraged me, pushed me to, you know, this was really good. You know, how, how do we quantify this? So we did a case control study, so to say um, the, the scientists in the room will probably laugh at, my attempt at it, 
But, you know, we took the, those six farms, we compared it to a handful of historical breaks, uh, eliminated ones that had obvious differences, concurrent PERS problems. Uh, maybe we had management turnover that we, we felt contributed. So we try to get rid of some of that noise and just compare it. And that's how we came up with that number. And, and I don't have it right in front of me. It was about three and a half weeks or so that we dropped our average closure length. And when you're in a high density area, whether or not uh, there was production improvements, having that virus out of there sooner was a big win. And they pushed me to that. Zoetis was a, a great help in in running some of that those number comparisons and helping. So shout out Kevin Eggers, who was there at the time, and Deb Amodi uh, for her help. And presenting that at ASV, again, how do we, we got lots of great veterinarians doing lots of great things. And occasionally you have very average veterinarians who get lucky and do something great or at least good. And and that was my case, I think. And so let's share this. Let's help others. And, and hopefully uh, people have tried a little bit of vaccine here and there and had seen some success as well. So I, I generally look at it as someone being able to eliminate a disease faster is always good for me, whether it's my system or not, because that's less, that's less virus at my neighbor's barn, which means less virus for my pigs to get or bacteria, whatever cases. And that's, that's just always helpful. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one thing that I've seen, even as we go to conferences or even have discussions, you know, within our various forums or whatever, is how collaborative we've become as an industry just for that very reason, right? If we help each other, we we both win-win, right? So, yeah, that, that's been exciting. Thanks for sharing that, Brent. So I want to pivot a little bit, right? So a couple of things that you've talked about is vaccination. And vaccination has been quite an emotional word since COVID-19, right? So I'm sure you have non-pork production friends that when they hear you're a swine veterinarian, ask you 20 different questions, right? About your day, what you do, you know, everything from, you know, is the pork that I eat is safe or, you know, what are the welfare standards that you have for your system, et cetera. So specifically, if we can here, um, without making this a three hour long podcast, right? What do you tell your non-pork producer friends when they ask about, hey, how do you use vaccinations within your swine herds? And, and tell me about that technology and those protocols, Brent. What do you tell them? Yeah, it's uh, probably good to warn me not to get too in the weeds because those that <laughs> know me <laughs> know that there's there's no thousand foot level. This is uh, we go a mile deep on some of that. So I'll, I'll try and be brief. Uh, I, I generally, you know, start with the end in mind. We want healthy, productive pigs. That's better for me. That's better for you as a consumer to have healthy, productive pigs. And vaccines play a, a role in that. My daughter is, you know, going on two years old. So she got lots of shots early. And, you know, it's almost like, holy cow, these all necessary. But uh, <laughs> uh, on the other hand, you know, that, and that that's exactly how it, it translates to pigs, where, you know, the, the cost of a disease outbreak can be really devastating. You might not have seen parvovirus for, for three years or five years or, or ever on a farm, but if you stop vaccinating, there's a good chance you will. So really trying to share with those you know friends, family, 
uh, strangers on the airplane, whatever, that, that it's really about how do you make safe and productive pigs, which makes safe and product, you know, and nutritious meals for them. If they have specific, you know, questions, the MRNA sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's really important. Like this doesn't change the DNA that you do not consume that mRNA virus. It's not in the genes. It doesn't change, you know, it's there to basically create an immune response. There's a minimum 21 day withdrawal on all vaccines. Anyways, most of them are given long before, uh, before marketing. And so really and say, these are safe. They're efficacious. They're beneficial for us and they're beneficial for you. And then, you know, as the as the questions get deeper, so do my answers. So I might leave yes. it there. I don't know if there's anything else I need to, to highlight. No, I think that was perfect. And I have very similar conversations, Brent. So, yeah, once again, we could probably have a, a podcast series based off of that one question, right? So one thing that I want to touch on that I think you have great experience to share with our listeners is slat level execution. Right. So you can develop the best vaccination program in the world or the best biosecurity program in the world, but then you have to influence people to go execute it. Right. You can't vaccinate all the pigs in your system by yourself. Um, right, Brent. So how have you found ways to be more influential to increase that daily execution on the slat level, Brent? Yeah. I had the the opportunity. I worked with a really great wean to market team. And and just production team in general, sow farms, uh, directors and stuff at the at the mash offs. Uh, a big thing on the wean to market side specifically was trying to have more consistent execution. And the biggest one was just communication, having clear expectations, making sure everyone was on the same page, reviewing that, following that up. You know, try not to, you know, I, I didn't want guys to think they had me watching over their shoulder to make sure they ordered whether inventory said you had 2450 for, you know, pigs on feet at this site, but you were 2600 vac- doses of vaccine. You know, why are we, why are we overshooting your boy? It was 24, but, you know, whatever the case is, but trying to have, you know, levels of oversight in there. And mostly that came down to trying to be there with them. Let's get in the barn together. Let's, they can run vaccine on their own. They can sort and grade pigs on their own. They can, you know, they're perfectly capable, but having a second person there asking questions tends to, you know, I'm not sure why I did it that way or, well, that's just the way I was taught when I started six years ago. And you, and you identify okay, hey, you know, we, we need to wait till we're at the site to start thawing this vaccine or we need to thaw it in cold water. Uh, the Circo vaccine, you know, let's let's get that set out the night before or, you know, if you're worried about it being too warm, why, why don't we put it in a, a small cooler with an ice pack and over the next 12, 16 hours, it'll, it'll get to room temperature and, and not 85 degrees, you know, and, and things like that. Let's try and work together, be a partner for it. And that was, that was really great in terms of a, of a compliance. How do we execute better uh, from a, 
another example, probably at a little bit larger initiative standpoint, was that you know we rolled out a new disinfectant protocol. We had the mash offs, you know, had somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty farms and doing somewhere in the neighborhood of about fifty different things. Um, generally the same products, but decided, hey, we think there's a better there's better options out there. There's safer products. There's more efficacious. There's ones with better degreasing properties, ways to streamline this process. So as we dug deeper into it, it's like, boy, I think, I think we can replace this. You know, we were, we were basically using uh, a detergent and, and then a disinfectant and the order and, and when they're being washed, applied, rinsed, was was all sorts of all over the place. So we decided we've got the opportunity to to replace these products with a single product. We can we can condense this process and we can update all these work instructions kind of in one fell swoop. I you know as it tends to go, you open your mouth and you get rewarded with responsibilities. And so that was me saying I, I think there's a better way. And Amy uh, says, great. So so happy you volunteered. Um, And so that that was a a long process. Uh, Learned a lot, but uh, really learned a lot about disinfectants, learned a lot about rolling out new initiatives. A big thing I learned was, you know, getting initial buy-in, understanding the problems, what can we fix so that when you sell, you know, this idea, you know, they're, they're willing to buy. Uh, so making sure you kind of start again, start with the end in mind. Let's make sure we put a, a, a new initiative together. That's going to, that people want. So identified the key areas we wanted to address. Started with a small rollout. We, we tried it in a single farm two farms there, kind of sister farms, did that for three, four months, felt really good about the process and say, okay, how are we going to roll this out? So we rolled it out to another farm and just like, okay, this is what you need so that I can show up, say, hey, we're switching. You have all the equipment you need. You have the resources you need and and boom, try it. Turns out didn't go super well, had to rethink a few things in the startup package, that kind of stuff, uh, but felt really good about it, rolled it out to the rest of the region, all right? Goes really quite well, takes a little while for farmers to use up their on-farm inventory, things like that, and then rolling it out to the rest of the system. So at every step, you know, you build your way up, you continue to build buy-in, and you continue to learn and improve that process so that hopefully each successive step is smoother and easier. That it was quite the process. Uh, you know, it, it would have been easy to just say, "Hey, we're switching this product, go." But uh, you know, we we changed the processes, we changed the SOPs, put them on new platforms, uh, changed the products, the kind of the the whole the whole process there was changed, and and ultimately came out pretty successful. Yeah, and I think your last comment there, Brent, hits the nail on the head, right? It's easy to leave things just exactly like they are, right? Then it's easy to just say, hey, here's what we're doing, and then that's how you drop it. 
uh, the harder way is the right way, right? And that's uh, that's to study the problem, analyze the solution, and then make sure that it gets executed to the best of its extent that it can, right? So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Curious to discover if you can manage your animal data and team's work with the touch of a finger? Some of the best and largest pig farm holdings worldwide use Cloud Farms to collect and analyze data like never before. How? With the most advanced mobile app to collect data accurately and super fast. For breeding, farrowing, weaning, and finishing. Also, this is the easiest way to assign tasks to your team and motivate to work more efficiently. You instantly understand what gets done on time and what doesn't. So yes, you can manage your animal data with the touch of a finger. So I got kind of four, you know, fun questions here to end on, Brent. So first, what's your favorite pork recipe? Yeah, I like anything that comes off the smoker. Uh, ribs are, are always great. I would say if I'm cooking, my my most impressive is probably pork belly burnt ends. Oh, that's a, that's a frequent request from my wife. And they're they're pretty good. Yeah, that sounds amazing. If you had magical powers and could eliminate one swine virus from the world, which would you pick? Uh, I would probably have to say African swine fever. Just the uh, the risk of it is so big. You know, PERS is, PERS is obviously the probably my biggest headache from a day-to-day, but that doesn't shut down markets. So right. I'm, I'm going to lean with African swine fever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite part of fall? Uh, fall, fall is tough because that's a, that's a great time of year. Okay. Uh, I would say football has got to be in there. I enjoy going home to, for harvest and, and help on the farm when I get the chance hunting season, which I did more so in vet school, trying to <laughs> escape small animal medicine than I did in uh <laughs> do now. Uh, but I would say just, uh, I enjoy spending time with my my wife and daughter now and the the fall weather, the change that we enjoy uh, trips to, to see the leaves change and things like that. So I would say just the, the general enjoyment of spending time with my family in the fall. That's awesome. All right. Last question here and then we'll let you go. It's the biggest hurdle that you've ever come in your career that you're the most proud of. That's a, that's a good one. I think I would say the, the biggest hurdle I've overcome throughout my career has, has been learning to establish buy-in and rapport uh, with, with groups. I'm, I'm relatively outgoing. Don't mind talking with, you know, and meeting new people and stuff. But I, I'm not the best at you know building that immediate relationship. Um, I can be, you know, sometimes a little more reserved or uh, analyzing of, of situations. So trying to understand that the mash offs push disc assessments quite a bit. Suede does as well. 
So I've gotten a lot of a lot of that, a lot of feedback. Not always um, easiest to receive, but trying to, I, you know, I always look at it as like I want to be the very best veterinarian that I can be. I want to be the best resource for my producers, uh, my production managers, my sow farm, day one care, whatever. So if this is what I need to do to get better, then then so be it. And that's uh, that's the biggest hurdle I'm, I'm probably continuing to to climb. But really, uh, like I said, it's been painful at points, uh, but pretty thankful for for the people I've worked with that have been willing to, to give feedback and, and push me to improve. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Brent. And thanks for joining us. This is an outstanding episode. I hope listeners um, got a lot out of this from Brent's, you know, successes and failures throughout his young career. And Brent, we wish you the best as you go forward. So with that, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Swine It podcast. Uh, We look forward to having you listen to more uh, here in the future. Thanks, guys.